It started as a seemingly simple journalistic assignment on the pandemic pet boom, but soon it turned into a darker exploration of the strangeness of being human. Hi, I'm James Jacobson, and in this episode of The Long Leash, a staff writer at The New Yorker, Nick Palmgarden, takes us on a journey through the curious relationship between people and dogs in this time of COVID. In the past 18 months, adopting pets, especially dogs, has been a global pastime. It's solved many people's need for companionship and comfort in a time that, for so many of us, has been marked by stress and isolation. There have been dozens of stories about how the rate of adoption has exploded, and also the growing concern as to what will become of the many pandemic pets that now exist in the world. But what if that isn't really the case? What if there hasn't been a pet boom at all, but instead a boom of a different kind, which says far more about humankind and pet culture? These were some of the big existential questions that Nick teases out with me in this conversation. Nick Palmgarden, thank you for being with us today. That's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And you are a true journalist. I'm going to say you are a reporter. You've, you've been doing this at The New Yorker since 2005, right? What, but I want to review your journalistic creds before we get started. Right. Uh, a, true, I don't, a true journalist, there's so many different kinds of journalists, uh, true ones and not true ones. I, uh, I have been a staff writer at The New Yorker since 2005. I, I came to the magazine in 2000 and was a uh, you know, a deputy editor of the Talk of the Town and uh, and also a writer of talk pieces and other pieces. It was in 2005, 16 years ago now, that I went off and became a staff writer, full-time writer. And you recently wrote an article that's gotten a lot of attention called What Will Become of the Pandemic Pets? That is true. I loved the piece, but it seems like not everyone in the world resonated with it. So, what was the intent behind it? Where, where, were, where were you going with it? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you how it came about, and then I'll give a sense of what I think, what I thought the story was doing or what I was trying to have it do. Mm-hmm. It was originally sort of a, a, an idea that came about in a meeting at the, at the magazine. Let's do a story about the pandemic pet boom, the idea that more people were adopting pets. Uh, and the idea was that it would be sort of a comedy of manners of you know people and their dogs and cats behaving in the way that people do. So I took that on as an assignment thinking it would be an easy an easy and and funny thing to do and uh as I began to think of it I thought it sort of I I found that a lot of it was trite I was reading in the papers and other places about this pandemic pet boom and it seemed like a fairly limited palette and then it so happened that a colleague of mine had had been working on and had dropped a story about this outfit that was you know helping rescue dogs in China from the meat market and, and, and having those dogs be adopted in North America. And, and that added, added a sort of a, a bizarre, dark element to the thing. And I, in my, you know, in my sort of lizard brain, I connected the two phenomena. And as I began to sort of investigate them both at the same time, those connections became, you know, less subliminal and, and more explicit and the story became something else. I mean, in some ways, it's a very odd piece. I will acknowledge that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really about human beings and how, 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 what a strange species we are for, for a whole number of reasons. I'm happy to go into it. As contrasted from 
our pets. Yes. I mean, or one of the things, animals. just animals in general, human, <laughs> yeah. human, humans and animals are, are different. And we, and yet we are an animal and yet we right. consider ourselves to be so different. Uh, and that's probably where it all starts to go wrong. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Will you talk a little bit about uh, Mark Schell's essay, I guess. He's a professor at Harvard who says that, you know, dogs are half man, half beast. Does that connect in with this this thesis that you're building in terms of we're strange animals? Well, yes. I, I mean, one thing I, I noted as I thought more and more about it was, and I think there's a line like this in the piece, something to the extent of, you know, uh, you know, no one, no other species on earth kills animals, other species, the way mm-hmm. we do or, or, or treats them so horribly. And yet no other animal on earth, no other creature on earth coddles other creatures, other species in the way that we do. Mm-hmm. So we, we, you know, we have this disconnect. I mean, we, you know, we obviously butcher in, in horrible circumstances, animals constantly for meat mm-hmm. and for other, for other reasons. Um, we use them obviously for labor and, and for other jobs. Uh, we train them or, or, or tame them. And, and yet at the same time, we have this, this love for animals. We anthropomorphize them. We have our pets who we like often more than our own children. Um, there's a huge industry around it. There's a whole sort of, uh, psycho emotional, uh, world built around our pets. And I, I didn't want to investigate it in too explicit a way. I just thought that juxtaposing sort of some of these strange behaviors and adoring behaviors said something about us as humans, especially in a pandemic year. What does it say about us? That we're, you know, we're a complicated species. I mean, in some ways, I, f- I find that the, the theme of uh, a lot of the stories I've been writing recently are, it boils down to, you know, human beings are, are crazy. Uh, we're just a very strange and complicated. Um, Have we always been strange and crazy? Or is it is it something that has uh, exacerbated through the pandemic and the last few election cycles in, in general? Or is it something you think that's always been? I think there are in, in, you know inherent problems in the in the human uh, in, in in human beings on planet Earth. We have you know this this high processing power, you know whatever part of the brain it is, and I can't remember the name, but it's uh, there's one part of our brain that is basically too technologically advanced uh, for what still exists, which is our deeper you know our deeper brain, which is still the the lizard brain, whatever you want to call it, the desire right. for, for food, um, you know, the reptilian brain. And, and we, and you know, those two together make us very dangerous. Obviously you throw in technology of our own devising, which just makes it sort of, uh, you know, uh, it makes it much worse. And you throw in the uh, social media, the internet, and suddenly it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a forest fire. So yeah, maybe, maybe this year we're worse humans, worse than ever. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're hoping to get comfort from these very beautiful, soft animals that we adopted in, in record numbers from shelters. Yes, supposedly, although the, the, the adoption rate, that was another little thing in the story, that the adoption rate, the number of adoptions has supposedly not gone up. What's gone, what's gone up is, uh, well, what's happened is that there are fewer animals going into the shelters. And therefore, uh, the rate of intake in the shelters is has dropped faster than the rate of adoptions, so that there are fewer dogs to adopt. Nonetheless, all of us seem to have this uh, anecdotal sense that there are more people with dogs. Everyone knows people who are adopting dogs. Uh, every veterinarian will tell you they're busier than ever. Every trainer will tell you they're busier than ever. 
all the food comp all the dog food companies and dog hair companies their numbers are through the roof so something's happening for sure so i mean do you doubt that and that was that was one of the questions that i had from the piece it's like well we all have the sense that you know adoptions are way up in the pandemic is that not the case there was a uh, a, a guy named andrew rowan who's uh runs some uh, advocacy group called well-being international and uh, he's been crunching all the numbers that are available to everyone from the shelters. Um, obviously, this is a thousand of five thousand shelters, so it's it's a twenty percent sample, which is a pretty good sample size. Uh, but yeah, the number number of adoptions are down around twenty percent in twenty twenty. We're, we're down in twenty twenty uh, over the previous year, two thousand nineteen. Are there animal are there dogs and cats coming from elsewhere are they being they're not being adopted as much from overseas in the last year because you can't get dogs and cats from overseas as easily um so the statistics seem to you know contradict the trend that we've all observed and been reading about and you know we've turned it into this phrase the pandemic pet boom um which may not be a boom at all it's 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 maybe mostly a boom of our um our the intensifying of our attention to our dogs and cats, to our dogs, and to, um, you know, our declining attention to other things because our lives are suddenly, we're just at home with our pets. Right. And that that's a more extreme experience of, of having pets, of being pet people than we would have had in the past. So that's almost like from a, a quantum physics perspective, what you're paying attention to therefore amplifies its import, but in fact, nothing really has changed. That's the working thesis, uh, you know, around the, the sort of disconnect between these statistics, this data, and the observed phenomena of a pandemic pet boom. Those aren't my those aren't my numbers, and and I'm not even very good at crunching numbers. So, okay. you know, I'm sort of taking. So you're reporting those yes, numbers that yes. obviously, I mean, and you've done your due diligence on that. I mean, right. it's not like yes, <laughs> I don't know. Some crackpot on the internet says this, but exactly. I mean, you, Okay, so we have fact checkers who are, you know, uh, extremely rigorous. They make up for whatever shortages of rigor uh, I may bring to it. So. <laughs> the reptilian brain. Yeah. Um, so as you got into this piece, which you thought was kind of, well, this is going to be a simple, easy puff piece. It'll be kind of, you know, and not too puffy. It's it's the New Yorker, but it's still going to be, you know, a happy thing. And, and I don't necessarily know if the, if the person who wrote the headline got the gist of it. Because you read the headline, what will become of the pet? of the pandemic pets and you're like, Oh, this is, and then you're like, Whoa. And, th and there are just so yeah. many different things. And you, me as the reader was vibrated to like, Whoa, this is a lot different than I thought it was going yeah. to be. Um, and I, it sounds like you as the writer felt that too, as you, as the more you dug into it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, as I was writing it, I, I sort of, and as I was coming to the end of it or to the end of a draft, I, I kept saying this piece is bananas. You know, because mm -hmm. of the juxtapositions and, and you know, there's a, a dark streak to it. And it's not a cuddly story about pets. And I'm someone who, I mean, I have a dog. I love dogs. K Kiko? K Kiko? Kiko is, yeah, Kiko is the dog's name. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not one, I'm not one of these people who thinks that dog owners are, are, are crazy. Right. Except to the extent that I know that we as dog owners are a little crazy. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Um it's not me judging the other. It's me judging ourselves. Um, if there's a difference, I don't know. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the headline, you know, the web headline, I think perhaps whoever, I don't write the headlines. So uh, right. 
but uh, I think that that's the headline that was on the version that was on the internet. Um, I think the the one that was in the magazine was pet projects, which also is you know it's it's hard to it's it's hard to summarize the story. It is it is a little bit it's a strange story, and um, you know I, I it is it is both kind of uh, uh, intriguing and amusing to me, but also you know it, it's it's unfortunate that a reader will come to it thinking it's going to be one thing. And then they discover that it's completely another. I, I mean, I kind of get a kick out of that as a, as a writer and as a um, as someone presenting material to the world that you can, you know, there's an element of surprise. Um, That's what's refreshing about it from, from, from my perspective. I mean, your observation, which is something that is known in the pet industry but not talked about, that Mars, uh, our good old makers of M&Ms, is so entrenched in the pet industry, both on the food side and the veterinary side was that something that you learned or did you know that? yeah no i didn't know that i mean there's yeah there's so much i mean i came into this as a total noob um yeah and it's it's always hard to know that the things that one finds out when one is reporting whether this is worth sharing with the world but you kind of try it out on you know i try that out on the, the people in my life and mm -hmm. on the people in my shop and if they are surprised by it then it's maybe it's surprising to the layman i think people in the pet industry know damn well that that's, you know, that, that, that they're the, the 800 pound gorilla. Um, and, and the other chocolate company, Nestle mm -hmm. is also really big in animal health and animal yep. nutrition. Yep. <laughs> so it's, it all, it all comes back to the things that we should never feed our dogs chocolate. Right. Uh, well, I mean, ch you could do a story about chocolate and how, you know, how strange that is. I mean, it's, it's this drug that we've, you know, we do a lot of damage to the earth to get that particular drug. And everybody, <laughs> everybody talks about chocolate as, as, as a wonderful thing, but it's, it's complicated. It sounds like all of this is complicated. We, yeah. we, we can't, we want to feel warm and fuzzy about something. Let's, let's keep feeling warm and fuzzy about dogs and, and chocolate. I hope. Yeah. Well, I, I love them both. So. So let's go back to the pet adoption boom for a moment. There are all these media reports about, people who are returning their new pandemic pups back to the shelter. Are they right? Uh, at last, the last numbers I saw and the last reports I saw was that that was not yet happening, but that there's a great concern and, uh, and fear that that is going to start happening soon. You know, people haven't really started going back to work in the way mm -hmm. that they were, they were working before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, in New York, you have, you know, Midtown, for example, the offices are still empty. Um, so it's sort of when people start going back to work um, and then they have to figure out what to do with their pets or if they if they've you know, they they have a dog that is not acclimated to being alone. And how does that dog behave when he or she is alone? And, you know, what if that dog is eating your shoes and I, I, people are going to people are going to re react. And I guess there's there, there is anxiety that it's going, you know, that. Um, the shelters will begin filling up again. Um, but I, from what I've read and what I've seen and what I've heard and the numbers that I was looking at, you know, during the spring, that hasn't started happening yet. Do you have, have you heard other things or? No, it has, I, the same thing. It has not started happening. Although I, I'm in uh, Maui, Hawaii and it actually has, but we have a very small shelter. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are a lot, you know, at one point it was like you, here everywhere you know the basically the shelter was empty now there are 
there's an overflow of animals available for adoption here in Hawaii, or at least in Maui. And, um, but, you know, each case is different and, and we have slightly different population centers between Manhattan and Maui. After a short break, more on Nick's article for The New Yorker, and also just what makes us humans so strange. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. Oh, I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. Oh, I want to roll in the grass. Oh, and warm my belly in the sun. Oh, I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pop. The green, glassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. <laughs> it infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, <laughs> I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pop you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. We are back with Nick Palmgarden. So Nick, back to the article. When you first started writing this piece, did you think it was going to be a more lighthearted look at the pandemic pet boom, but then you changed your approach after seeing some of the more sobering things that were not being covered? It was more, yes, but it was more that as I thought more deeply, as I sought to, as I sought handholds to make this an interesting thing for me to write about, as I thought more deeply about dogs, as I read, you know, academic papers on dogs or talked to people who had thought a lot about dogs, like Alexander Horowitz, for example, mm-hmm. um, who's written some, some great books about dogs um, and who I once wrote about. I once wrote a talk of the town piece about her when um, she had this thing. And this is this is for the, the human podcast but uh, she for a while she had it as a hobby she would ex- she was going around new york finding the single gloves that people had dropped you know winter gloves and she was collecting them all and she had a collection of thousands of single gloves so i wrote a story about that as a result i knew that alexander horowitz was very wise also about dogs so i talked to her for a while and she's someone who loves dogs and thinks about dog cognition um you know at dogs as as uh, a species unto themselves, not merely our playthings or, or or pets, and you know that conversation started to you know tickle other synapses in my brain and 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 made me realize that this is a it's a, a deeper, weirder subject, um, and so that's I prefer to write that way, and and it was done from a place of love. Like I say, I love dogs, um, and I, I I don't want dog owners or dog parents, people, 
dog people, <laughs> dog lovers to read this. We say dog lovers. You can yeah, never go wrong with lovers. dog lovers. I don't want dog lovers to read this and say, you know, who is this jerk? He doesn't understand. Uh, you know, I, am, I, I, I cuddle with my dog and, uh, and with other people's dogs if they allow it. So um, I have that warm and cuddly dog side too. But I, I just, when you, you know, when you, when you get up to 10,000 feet, and look at us, you know, our, our, our pet culture is, is, is bizarre. And it, it says some things about our relationship, our very fraught relationship with the other creatures on planet Earth. I mean, that's, that's where I came out in the end. Yeah, at the top of our discussion, you, you, you were describing, you know, we, we, slaughter do- we slaughter animals in pretty cruel and inhumane ways and also at the same time cuddle with them, and no one else does this on Earth. And when, as you were describing that, I had this vision as like someone sitting on the couch cuddling their dog and like, eating kfc and like you know right it's a bit bit in the bones and 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 factory farming and all that stuff and then i also thought about uh animals that are uh inappropriately in my opinion fed vegetarian diets because they're 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 dog lovers are vegetarian and they, and they think rover should should just eat broccoli um and that's probably not good for rover because that's not what dogs eat in the wild um and so it is as you say a complex uh thing is uh, we, we are a strange species that are living with these other animals we we've we've chosen to make them our mirror you know we 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 choose to see we, we choose dogs as signals of our virtue or of our, our 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 taste you know what kind of dog do you want or do you have you think it's a reflection of your personality or your or your position or your your value system um, and then we use those dogs to convey or the, we use the way we raise and take care of our dogs as a way to convey to other humans you know our our value system our virtue uh, a, a vegetarianism is a perfect example. The dog has not chosen to to give up meat necessarily, mm-hmm. um, and that's a more complicated subject because obviously uh, dogs have, in many ways, just they're in the wild. Yes, but they haven't been in the wild for many centuries and or millennia, and they mostly ate garbage and whatever they could find. Right? I mean, street right. dogs, they're they're sca- scavengers, scavengers, and also when yeah. they. And then in their na- if we go back to their natural habitat, when they when they take down prey, they kind of uh, go first for the what's in the abdomen, and they often eat animals that are vegetarian, that right. are you know that that were so they they get their fiber, if you will, right. that way. Right. Um, but but yeah, it gets really complicated once you start looking at how dogs eat and 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 how we've evolved with them. You talk about virtue signaling, which I think is an interesting thing because you you mentioned the point that we our parlance has changed from the term shelter dogs to rescue dogs yes because it sounds more virtuous right i think i think yeah our our act of choosing is is forefronted there you know our our act of taking care of the dog as opposed to um the 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 dog it's not about the dog's circumstances it's about our our agency in the in the dog's change circumstances and mm-hmm. um you know, every every everyone who has a rescue seems always to foreground their conversation with "it's a rescue," "he's a rescue," "she's a rescue." I do the same. Um, 
It sounds good, but 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 it'd be similar, I guess, to like you if you adopt a child from an orphanage, you say, "I rescued this person." Right. Human beings don't do that with 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 adopt with adopted humans in quite the same right. way. There's still some. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's still it, it, people are a little touchier about it. You know, um, mm-hmm. that's changing too. Uh, the, another thing that comes up in this story, and, and you know, is is the way that our our treatment of and, and relationship with dogs, because the story specifically is mostly about dogs, has evolved and it continues to evolve. You know, with each generation, it changes. And, you know, it, it, people f- seem to think that our relationship with, with our pets has always been thus, but it is, you know, every every generation, it changes a little bit. And um, as Alexandra Horowitz says in the story, you know, it may be that in a couple generations, we won't own dogs in the way that we do now. You know, we buy them. You purchase people purchase dogs on the internet. They they say rescue, but you you pay for, you choose often on a website a picture and description that that suits your fancy, and you pay money, and that animal, live animal, is delivered to you as though it's it's something that you would order from Amazon. And that, as she says in the story, it's it's pretty dystopian for the animals. And what's the future? I don't know. I you know I. You know, zip cat. You know, uh, you rent you rent you rent the cat. You rent you the rent cat the when you need it. You know, when 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 you know when you're having people over that are cat people, you have the cat. When you have people over that are dog people, you have the dog. I've actually seen that here in Maui. There, there was a business that if you want, if you if you're here, you're away from your your pet for a long time, and you want to go on a picnic, you can rent a dog to go with the picnic uh, and take the dog with you. Is that a dog that is basically like waiting for people to go on picnics with, or is that a dog that's like moonlighting? Is this is that the dog's day job, or is that just a, you know? I don't think the dog gets any money out of the whole process. I but he probably gets he probably gets a lot of food. So I hope so. Uh, no, I mean people are starting to do that, and of course in in Japan there are places where you can go cat cafes where you can go and like again if you're visiting from out of town you just hang out with a bunch of cats in the restaurant uh and i guess if you live there you can bring your cat so people are doing that i think that dystopian future may, may yeah may be real i mean and it there might be there's certainly you know more humane ways always for us to have a relationship with these domesticated animals that we call pets you know mm-hmm. that's evolving all the time and mostly for the good you know, like the, the the shelter system used to be. I think I say in the story, we used to have fewer dogs and kill a lot more of them. I think in 1973, there were 37 million dogs in the country. That's obviously an estimate, and seven million of them were euthanized in shelters. Now it's the numbers I had were 80 million dogs in the country estimated, and um, you know, fewer than a million were euthanized in shelters. That's still a lot of euthanized dogs, but it, it's the trend is at least encouraging that we're able through the work of a lot of dedicated dog lovers. Uh, we've gotten better at matching dogs in shelters with humans who want dogs. We've gotten better at that. We have gotten a lot. And that's one of the benefits of the technology yes. that, that we all carry around in our pockets. So uh, about eight years ago, you adopted Kiko. Yeah, it's coming. Yep. Eight and a half years ago. And through this process of, of writing this piece and, and just thinking about this on a deeper level, has your relationship changed? That's an interesting question. You know, whether it's with children or uh, lovers or friends or pets, 
behaved in ways we wish we hadn't. So we always, we're always trying to get better. At least some of us are. I'm definitely uh, more aware of, of his own uh, cognitive space. You know, in some ways, those conversations with Alexander Horowitz, for example, you know, I'm like, what is he, what is he thinking? What, what does he make of all this? Um, and, you know, rather than seeing him always as, as a cartoon or as some, something funny and cute, you know, I, I'm thinking of him more and maybe I'm anthropomorphizing him now more than I did before as I tr try to understand what makes him tick. Um, it's, it's sort of, yeah, it's interesting because you think that the cartoon is the anthropomorphic view, but in some ways, the, trying to understand him better, giving him more slack means it, it is me treating him more like another dude in the house. How does that thinking look? Do you like sit down and like kind of like, or is this like musings in the shower or one-on-one <laughs> yeah, -on -one where you like are on a walk with a dog and, and, and you are connecting that way as, as you consider this? How does the thinking look? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm probably screwing up my brow, you know, drooling a little bit as I, <laughs> as I actually try to try to execute thought, do thinking. Uh, no, I, uh, you know, it's just it's just kind of idle, you know, I, idly watching him watch us. With a newfound appreciation for his cognition. Yes, yes. And also, you know, and, and uh, a newfound awareness of, you know, how weird it is to be so emotionally intense for me. I mean, that the, you know, it's, I do, I, the way I think about everybody in my life, you know, you, I idly think of death all the time. I'm sort of, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a morbid person, uh, generally melancholy. And so, you know, contemplating the demise of anybody in your life is always kind of, it sharpens the mind. One of the things about dogs, as we all know, is that they don't, they tend not to live as long as we do. And so that's a, you know, that's, that's, that's like this, this um, monster storm on the horizon that I think about from time to time. Is that too, too dark? It's something that, <laughs> so, no, it's not dark. I think it's something that so many dog lovers uh, have to deal with because, you know, they live whatever, they're one year, seven year, whatever, whatever that, whatever that axiom is. Um and we do have to experience them. And then we are, as you talk about unusual creatures, not only do we slaughter animals in strange ways, and not only do we cuddle them, but we, quote unquote, put them to sleep out of love. And that in and of itself is, is just sort of like worthy of rumination. That act is it's so fraught, emotionally fraught for people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's one of those grief traumas that human beings all end up experiencing if they're lucky enough to live long enough. So, I mean, in some ways it's a, maybe, you know, if, if, if you're thinking of human beings as the dominant creature and all the other creatures on earth are under our dominion, which I think I would caution that we not think that way, but if you are thinking that way, then you might think of the grief over uh, a deceased pet as you know a dress rehearsal um but I, I don't i don't think that that's even the right way of thinking about it because it's it's a relationship of its own and um you know i used to i used to i used to, you know in my younger more callow days i used to you know not think as deeply about people mourning their pets i'd kind of be like oh come on it's just it's just your cat man. it's just a dog but once you have you know i had a you know, a beloved pet as a kid. So that was, you know, but once, but once you have one, that's like a member of your family, 
which is a strange phenomenon, which I write about a little bit, um, you know, you no longer are as dismissive of that experience or that, that, that looming experience, I should say. So Nick, next time you're in an editorial meeting and your editor says, Hey, we need a piece on dogs. What are you going <laughs> to write about? Yeah. Maybe grief, you know? Yeah, you know, it's a, it, that is. I mean, you 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 brought it up, and I think it's an interesting it's an interesting corner of this whole thing. It's but it's it's pretty. You know, it's hard for people who aren't dog people to take seriously. But it is. Yeah. There's so many of there's so yeah, many of yeah, us though, yeah. right? There's even more of us than there are political divides. Is right. one of the few things. One of the reasons that we started Dog Podcast Network is it was a way to bring people together on any side of, of political issue or an international issue that dog lovers really do get it. Uh, and, and, and it trans it, it's, it's across borders. It's across political ideologies, religious, yes. most religious beliefs. It's extraordinary. Yes. It's a, it's a good cult to be a part of. Um, it's not a cult. It's actually, you know, it's culture. <laughs> it's culture. I love it. Nick Palmgarten, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks I really for having appreciate me on. It. It was great. Some fascinating insights from Nick Palmgarten there. I hope you found them as thought-provoking as I did. If you'd like to listen to more dog stories, we have a wide selection of shows here at Dog Podcast Network that just might strike your fancy. In addition to The Long Leash, why not take a listen to our weekly shows, Dog Edition and Dog Cancer Answers. You can find those at dogpodcastnetwork.com. And while you're there on that website, we'd love to know what you think about our shows. Just click the little blue microphone icon that's located at the bottom of every episode page and leave us a message. Your thoughts are really important to us. We also would like to know what you'd like to hear more of. So let us know again by clicking that little blue microphone icon on the bottom of every episode page. That about does it for this episode of The Long Leash. Our thanks again to Nick Palmgarden for being on the show. And most importantly, thank you for pressing that play button today and showing your support. I'm James Jacobson. And from all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, we wish you and your dog a very warm aloha.